Heavenly Father, we again uh, come before your throne of grace and uh, with great, great thanksgiving and praise. We know that all the glory is yours and your son's. Uh, we're so appreciative, Father, of, of, uh, of that, because if it were of us, <laughs> uh, we would surely not be gathered here this morning. In fact, we'd be uh, running as fast as we could, <laughs> seeking uh, things that are not possible. Indeed, uh, there's only one way of salvation, and that's through your Son, Father, our, our dear Savior, our Lord Jesus. So, Father, thank you for him and his grace, which is uh, most precious and continually uh, making the difference for us all. So, Father, thank you that you've gathered us, brought us into your uh, <clears throat> your realm, your heavenly realm. And indeed, you've carved out a, a spot for us to rest here even in this life. And that your grace is always sufficient, Father. Please write that on our hearts uh, today and always that we might never forget. Father, I... I pray for our nation and our leaders and uh, as the nation itself and its people uh, are in conflict and uh, in opposition in so many ways. Father, I just pray that you might still work in these dark days, last hours perhaps, that you might still work to draw to yourself, Father, those that you would have to be your own and... Uh, that you would overwhelm the forces of evil in this nation. Please encourage and defend uh, our president and those that stand for true justice, Father. And uh, may our people be aware of what that even means. Uh, so many have lost uh, an understanding of it entirely, especially our younger ones, Father, who have been raised up in schools that have perverted truth and denied uh, the clear revelation of your word, even denied the clear revelation of nature itself, Father, regarding yourself and your uh, power and glory in creation. So, Father, uh, we just uh, call out to you, cry out to you uh, for your mercy on our people, our nation, uh, caught up in such sin that we can't even speak of it. So, Father, thank you. Thank you. So, Father, I just thank you for our opportunity now to gather and uh, for any requests that may have been missed. Uh, you know them, Father. You know everything on our hearts and uh, are working all things according to your perfect will. And we thank you for that and for the confidence, Father, that we have in you and in our Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, we continue on today. I, If I were to put a title today on our sharing, it would be this. The witness of the Apostle Paul risking everything for the sake of Christ. Now, if you've been here with us recently, you'll know why I might use the word risk in this context, because it might seem out of place, uh, indeed, for for those that know Christ well, 
and uh, are saved according to the riches of his grace and know it. And we stand firm there uh, in that place I mentioned in our prayer, <laughs> that place that you've carved out for us. Uh, but Father, uh, the Father has, uh, through Paul uh, and through our Lord Jesus' teaching of the apostle, he's given much instruction on what our lives now are to be like uh, as we live out these great blessings. So the challenges continue in this life, always will. And so I've used that word risk for a specific purpose because I think it highlights some contrasts that I want to uh, directly uh, address a little bit later. Um, if you've been a student of God's word for any, any time at all, you've seen how it was that in, in Paul's life, Christ's resurrection power was manifested. Um, I think only false teachers would deny it. Uh, certainly false teachers followed after Paul and from church to church and, and promoted just the opposite, right? They said Paul was an imposter. He was not sent by God. Uh, he was uh, abandoning Moses' law and nothing... Worse than that could be imagined by those false teachers. Uh, of course, they got it all wrong. They didn't really understand Paul's message at all. And they didn't accept Paul's authority as the apostle of the Gentiles. And uh, therefore, they went far astray. Uh, you'll remember, well, if you've been here with us uh, as we've gone through Philippians, the main focus has been on the mindset that was in Christ Jesus as he left heaven's glory. You'll remember that. I keep coming back to it, and each uh, Sunday morning I start out by rereading those words just so we will never forget that exhortation that Paul gave there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, that motivation uh, exhorted there for each of us is something that Paul learned much about throughout his life, right? Uh, it required him to sacrifice everything unrelated to his mission, uh, and it became the central focus in Paul's life. It became even his calling. It wasn't a once-for-all kind of thing where he would say, okay, Lord, I'll take your mind to be mine, your motivation to be mine, uh, and we'll go on from there. <laughs> no, it wasn't a one-time only thing. started at a certain point in his life, but uh, developed from there. And he learned the depths uh, of it, the dimensions of it, because, of course, uh, it could not be revealed to Paul the things that he would suffer for the sake of Christ, uh, he was told that he would suffer for Christ's sake, but he was not given the total uh, outline of what that would involve. In fact, of course, he couldn't be given that. Uh, simply no way. Um, but uh, he learned uh, one step at a time, the same way we must learn. But Paul, uh, after having learned something of what it all meant, he wrote in Philippians 3, verse 7, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss 
for Christ. And I, I think in that in that statement, there's there's so much there's so much really great um, insight there into what's going on today in our lives under grace. And Paul will surely be a great example for us as we consider his own sacrifices. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He just had given there a list of those things that he previously considered gain, right? And these were things uh, from his past, but he had gotten the greatest degrees and the greatest universities available at the time, and yet he was willing to just cast those things aside, not even uh, mention them again, except rather negatively, right? Um, but instead, say that he counted them all loss for the sake of Christ. But what do those words mean, loss for Christ? What does it mean to say, um, for Christ's sake, he would count all of these things but loss? I want us to learn more of that today. Um, as we saw last time, Paul learned that suffering together with Christ was really better than deliverance. <laughs> that was our, our main point last time. Suffering together with Christ was better than deliverance. I stated it that way to draw the uh, strength of Paul's testimony out and so that we might understand it better. Because deliverance from the trials of this life, of course, are always in the front of our minds, if not in the center of our hearts. Uh, may it not be any longer that, but uh, certainly they uh, come into the forefront of our minds. And we pray, in fact, we, we uh, cry out for deliverance occasionally. Uh, but Paul learned... And because it was revealed to him, and through some hard times indeed, that suffering with Christ is even better than deliverance. And so when he says he counted all things but loss, I think you should understand that's uh, the context within which that was said. Okay. Now, the infirmities then uh, that he continued to have, were the ones, therefore, that he could even boast in, he could even glory in. And uh, uh, after a really long list of trials and tribulations in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he, he says this in chapter 12, verse 5, I will not glory, of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Hmm. Um, we need to to uh, challenge ourselves often by considering what Paul is really saying there, considering it very personally, because uh, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, which was even worse than all of those other trials. And, uh, and he cried out even three times uh, for deliverance. And the Lord said, no, Paul, deliverance is not in the plan that I have for you. And I have the best plan for you, Paul, but it doesn't involve your deliverance from the thorn in the flesh. It doesn't tell us what the thorn was, but he does say, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, in this case, your weakness, Paul. And so Paul's response to that was just so simple. He says, 
I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I, I'd like, uh, Ben, if you'd just read read that again for us, just because repetition here of this is so, so important. So, Ben, read, if you would, Second Corinthians 12, 9. 12, um, 9. Yes, and read 10, read 10 also, if you would. Okay. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Um, thank you so much. Uh, this is, you know, uh, if we're reading it personally, taking it personally, and not just reading it as some statement of history, right? Oh, oh, please don't take it that way. It's so much more than that, right? Uh, what the Apostle Paul is really doing here is stating what the essence of grace working today is, right? What is the essence of what God is doing today? It's working in our hearts. How does he do that? According to the riches of his grace. And here, Paul says, that involves our weakness. So, as I said before, uh, he, uh, he learned that Suffering with Christ was better than deliverance. In fact, it was uh, even as life calling, as life calling, as we just saw there, um, that suffering would go on, right? It wasn't just for a time. Um, but that Paul says he takes pleasure in this. Now, I know other translations don't use that word there. I wish they would. It's, it's very, uh, very accurate, I think. Uh, he says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Oh, that he would take pleasure in these things. So what he's saying is that our many trials, his certainly and ours, because he's our example in this, are in the very center of where God is working under grace okay so our theme today then and now you begin to see why i might um, use the word risk i hope <laughs> only using the word because i think it highlights some contrasts that we need to take to heart but uh, risking everything for the sake of christ why do i say risk because one has to count all things but loss, or one cannot enter into the fullness of God's grace in this life. And that's optional. Not everyone will do it. Not everyone will enter into life fully. We may be saved and have an eternal hope. God will fulfill that hope. Right. But there is the issue of the judgment seat of Christ coming up. And there is the issue, therefore, of the evaluation. <clears throat> uh, and what will remain after the judgment seat of Christ? Right. And uh, will there be rewards 
And uh, we're going to look at that subject today and also next time, Lord willing, um, under this heading, Risking Everything for the Sake of Christ. Because we all know that having been saved, there's still now many challenges in life, right? The world system exists, right? Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the uh, prince of this world, right? He's still out there to uh, warp, warp uh, <laughs> what what God had uh, created and continues to maintain. And indeed, Satan's goal is always to thwart the plan and the work of Almighty God, right? We saw that well in our study in the long war against God. So, um, indeed, the challenges are many. The question there will be how will we respond to the challenges of life? And will our lives be characterized by newness of life and the fullness of grace? Or will we go off into the world and try to find another way, right? Uh, <clears throat> those challenges will always be there. Well, today I want to consider what Paul learned, what he learned that was so life transforming that his passion in life was sharing that with everyone he met. Right. What did Paul learn that was so life transforming? And I would suggest there are two things. One, we just talked about it and we'll say a bit more about it, that suffering with Christ is better than deliverance. It's a pretty large thing to learn, and we're still learning, and he's he was still learning his entire life. It wasn't a learning experience that once he had the degree, he was finished, right? No, he never had the degree. In fact, he was hoping for it, <laughs> that it would be granted, right? Remember, and in the next couple of uh, studies here, we'll be looking a little bit more at what Paul writes at the end of chapter 3 of Philippians regarding <laughs> attaining unto that. Uh, <clears throat> but um, the second thing is that uh, that Paul learned um, that was so transforming was that risking everything for the sake of Christ was God's highest purpose. <laughs> it was God's highest purpose of all. Okay. Um, so important that we dare not, we dare not turn aside from it. Paul says, he uses words like suffer loss, right? In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, right? And uh, we're going to see that as we proceed. Okay, so um, it'll be next time we'll look at that, um, Lord willing. So first of all, suffering with Christ is better than deliverance. Now, this was our major theme last time, but I want to just say uh, a couple of things here now just to sort of cement this understanding in your minds and in your hearts. And what I want to focus on are these words for his sake. Okay, suffering with Christ for his sake. We read these words over and over again and, and might not ever stop to consider what they even mean. In what sense could our sufferings for Christ be or with Christ before his sake. Hmm. Uh, that, that would 
mean, one would think, for his benefit, right? <clears throat> okay, for his sake. Okay. Um, and as I said, Paul uh, learned throughout his life what the different dimensions of that suffering were, and some of those trials were very, very great indeed. I mean, he was even stoned three times, right? He was shipwrecked. <laughs> he even writes, he was under the sea. I don't, you may not want to take those words literally, but he was in the sea, meaning down in it. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, great miracles were worked just to preserve his life, of course, to get him to his destination on that journey, which was in Rome, right? But but on other occasions, he was stoned to death, he was stoned, left for dead, and, and uh, yet was brought back by our Lord for his glory. So Paul learned... Uh, through suffering, what the dimensions of his calling, his life calling, really were. Um, but let me just say this. Suffering with Christ uh, is far more than simply suffering. <laughs> simply suffering is common to all mankind. It's easy, easy to assume that somehow when we're suffering that this is... Uh, something to be avoided, uh, to escape from whatever, because it has uh, little to do, maybe, with uh, anything spiritual. And, in fact, it may have little to do with anything spiritual. But suffering is common to mankind, right? Uh, learning the difference between common suffering and suffering with Christ is going to be the challenge of our life, just like it was for the apostle, uh, indeed, we're asked to uh, suffer together with Christ as Paul did. So really, his his suffering is set forth as our example. Um, well, <laughs> the question looms very large, will we imitate Paul as he imitates Christ? suffering together with him. He calls us to do that in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, and in at least four other places. He says we must imitate him as, not, not just as a man or as a great teacher or something like that, no, but as he imitates Christ, and that has to do with the purity of motives, um, taking that mindset which was Christ as his own, okay? He is a powerful example for us in that, uh, you know, you you might say, well, I can't, I'm not Christ, and so I cannot have purity of motives. I cannot uh, seek the joy set before me effectively as he did, right? You might easily say, count me out. <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> but if you do, you'll be resigning yourself to wallowing around here in the backwaters of this life and not uh, living in the fullness of life, see. So really, uh, looking at Paul, considering him the example of how God works today under grace, is to be our great joy, and indeed uh, it's our challenge, right? Will we suffer together with him uh, and for him, meaning then for his glory, for his glory, not ours, okay?
for his glory. Uh, now I want to go on to how risking everything for the sake of Christ is God's highest purpose. And we need to focus on this because there, there are many who are teaching what I believe is quite contrary to Paul's uh, doctrine and the doctrines of grace. And the way that happens is by not rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, that's one way. Another way is just through pure liberalism, uh, <clears throat> which is uh, increasingly taking over the even the churches, right? Of course, it always has been the challenge. Uh, that happened <laughs> many, many centuries ago, and the church as a whole became polluted, and you know the consequence of that. Finally took the Reformation to uh, at least sort of re- orient the ship of state as it were right and uh, it was a ship of state <laughs> indeed because the church ruled the known world at least uh, at that time but that has been set aside praise god right but we need to consider what risking everything means because we can easily be led astray and think it means something it doesn't um, what does it really mean well, um, one thing it doesn't mean, and I have to state this very, very strongly, because one of the central ways in which confusion is propagated in regard to this life that we are to live as believers is that uh, the principles of the coming millennial kingdom are applied in ways that are contrary to the working out of God's grace. Now, you know... We've seen it here in our studies before that uh, the requirements for the kingdom involve such things as forsaking all, okay, even family and so forth. Um, uh, Christ said they must be forsaken, right? And he also said something about property and lands and so forth, that these things must be sold and the money given for the sake of the poor. That was in, uh, you remember the example of Ananias and Sapphira, okay? Uh, how can you not forget that, right? And, and so we need our understanding to be um, kindled regarding the un this notion of what it means to live for Christ and for his glory. Because if grace is operative and not law, uh, the circumstances are going to be very different. But when we give up law as the fundamental principle and enter into the fullness of grace, does that mean that we're completely unbounded, that there's no limit, that we can just live any way we so choose, right? And of course it doesn't. But so many will say that we must have the law and then mix grace with it, Otherwise, we'll be living in rebellion, lawlessness, and license, okay? And that is not the case, okay? And we need to reemphasize that. Uh, but there, are, nevertheless, there are many things that interfere with uh, our lives, and uh, many are bound by the affairs of this life so much that they really do not have any place left in their hearts for the working of grace.
that's just a fact, you know. They're bound by the affairs of life, marriage, family, work, friends, health, finances, and so forth. But Paul is writing to us today and says there's hope. He says there's a way to balance this. There's a way to understand this in such a way that we can meet the requirements that God places upon us gloriously. Okay? And without placing ourselves back under law. Okay? And uh, he, he, he teaches concerning this in a number of his letters. It's not a minor th- theme. So what I, what I believe uh, we need to understand is the two critical issues that Paul addresses in his letters regarding this issue standing before us. Uh, what does it mean to risk all for the sake of Christ? Does it mean you enter a monastery having uh, <laughs> abandoned everything in this life, even your family? <clears throat> even your marriage, uh, you've sold everything, and now you're living in a monastery, and so forth. Well, that's what was taught uh, by many in a previous era, right? And I would say many teach the same idea today, still. Uh, they may warp the teaching a bit to fit our current circumstances, but it's really that that they're teaching. So what about, what are the issues the critical issues that Paul wants us to understand. We're going to deal with one of them now and the other one next time. The one we'll look at now is what the radical implications are of being under law. (laughs) What the radical implications are of being under law. Next time, how to properly understand works, works. Believers are called to good works, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, the gift of God, lest any man should boast. You know, and he says we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What does that mean? Okay, does that mean those are the works of law, or is that talking about works in a different sense? So next time we'll look at that, what the proper understanding of works for the believer who's living under the guidance and empowering of grace. What are the works uh, that are uh, intended there? So just today, then, I'd like to look at this first issue of the two. What are the radical implications of being under law? Hmm. We remember, I'm sure, very well in Philippians chapter 3, because we've read these verses many times now, but uh, in chapter 3, we're going to, uh, again, consider those key words there. I'll read them for you. Verse 8, chapter 3. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of law, of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So here Paul is drawing a contrast it's such a great and, and over, overwhelming, really, contrast, perhaps, for us, because really 
our own righteousness is what our nature wants to establish always okay uh and that that nature is continuing on with this so we have a new nature there beside it right so there's the old nature and the new the old wants to establish our own righteousness but what paul says here is that whole thing is according to law and in the original the word the isn't there which is of law it's not necessarily Moses' law that you might place yourself back under. It could be any law. Okay, it could be the law of the church. It could be um, the law of your community. <laughs> uh, it could be the law of your family or friends, right? It could be just simply your own personal law. But no matter what law it is, it will be your own righteousness which will be established when you do that. And Paul says, no, the contrast is between that and... What he says here is that, in other words, that righteousness which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So that contrast is clear there. Now, there's a word that I think is relevant that we find in Hebrews chapter 9. So, Linda, would you read uh, for us there Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14 that's showing this same contrast? For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Thank you, Linda. <clears throat> okay, the word I said that would be helpful in drawing these contrasts is this word dead. <laughs> so, what a thought. Dead works, well, for for a believer, we might think that our works are living works, right? And therefore, they're always exactly what God wanted, right? Does he not want us to bring forth works, right? Hmm. But here, um, the contrast is drawn very sharply between some works and others. And some uh, even pollute the conscience, he says here. He says, uh, your conscience might need to be cleansed, purged from dead works so that you might truly serve the living God. And it's only the blood of Christ that can accomplish this kind of cleansing, right? So that's a very uh, stark and very concrete way of describing what I'm uh, uh, discussing with you here today dead works um, and yet most of what we hear today uh, is in the realm of works in fact <laughs> I've heard teachers often say you already know too much now what you need are works you need obedience you need works right they're not concerned about whether the works are dead it seems uh, but we should be concerned very much about them. Um, what are dead works? Well, they're works of law that are devoid of faith, or <laughs> even more extremely, uh, you might consider simply works that are done fully independently of any divine purpose. Okay, They may, may be very good. In fact, uh, even unbelievers are well-organized to focus in on what they would call 
the works that um, uh, are most important, right? Their whole organizations uh, um, founded for the very purpose, right? Even political systems are designed to speak very highly of certain works, right? And to condemn others, right? But they've gotten the whole uh, definition of those works entirely wrong, as you well know. Just look at our current political system. On the one hand, uh, good works will be, you know, being compassionate for illegal aliens. But on the other hand, uh, they'll decry uh, and demean anyone who stands for the right of an unborn child. Just to show you that how twisted the mindset might become uh, for those that are not understanding this distinction that we're talking about here today, the distinction between works that are truly of faith and those that are not, right? Um, good works may be truly good, or they may just be <laughs> vacuous and uh, really quite uh, evil in their essence. Okay. Now I want us to read in Colossians too, Lisa. If you can read for us here, because in these uh, verses, there are just four verses here, and yet I think they state this whole uh, issue and this contrast so very, very uh, powerfully and clearly. So, Lisa, Colossians two verses twenty through twenty-three. Okay. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. Why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Taste not, I'm sorry, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in, uh, I'm sorry, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will, worship, and Humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Okay, thank you, sir. Now, those are words to um, to to simply read over and over to get the gist of them, because very powerfully there, the apostle has stated the difference between legal works, religious works, on the one hand, and the work of the spirit on the other hand. He doesn't mention the spirit here. He doesn't have to, but uh, he does elsewhere. But uh, he says these things, these these works, they, they are the ones the flesh is desiring. And that's why they honor and satisfy the flesh. That's how verse 23 ends. OK, and they uh, <clears throat> worship the will. OK, and they promote humility, but of course, falsely. And they, uh, of course, focus very much on the neglecting of the body. What do we see out in the world? Uh, much focus, uh, on the one hand, on on the flesh and its perversions and passions. But on the other hand, you know, asceticism, the neglecting of the body. There's so much focus on that today as if all of those things somehow fit together so well. Right? So... Indeed, there are works um, that may even be called good that are not truly good because uh, of the source of those works, which is not necessarily of God. And it's not necessarily at all that those works come from the new nature. The old nature is quite happy to produce <laughs> works that may look good and seem good 
and may um, fulfill the requirements of some particular group, right? Even church, I could add, okay? But they're not uh, at all uh, the sort of thing that Paul uh, in his letters is recommending for us today. Okay, so considering this, that the uh, the things Paul is writing about are radical. They, they cut to the very heart of what grace is working out today in and through us and leave aside and fact that we're we're exhorted to leave aside entirely that other realm right therefore risking everything for the sake of christ is indeed a challenge it's a challenge for every day it's a challenge for every hour i mean are we going to cling too closely to the things that seem to be great blessings from god and these they may very well be blessings but are we going to hold on to them too tightly unwilling to release them if need be. Paul had to learn the lesson that they needed to be released, okay? Um, Do we know that all the things that we have are truly temporal blessings and are passing away, or are we going to grasp onto them and hold them tight as if somehow we have a right to them? Okay, Uh, are we going to redeem the time for the days are evil otherwise? Right? You see the contrast is there. Uh, So many are teaching the days are really good, right? Well, the challenges are everywhere. If you don't see the challenges, then you you won't know why the time needs to be redeemed. But it does. He says redeeming the time for the days are evil. Unredeemed time is that which is fitting into Satan's world plan, okay? And really doesn't glorify God, but only glorifies the enemy of our souls. Are we going to walk according to the prince of this world or according to God, in other words, right? Uh, Ultimately, that's our choice. And are we going to rest? Rest, rest, rest. Um, We cannot rest if we're captured by the power of the flesh. Romans 7, verses 7 through 11, and we'll end at that point today. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence or or strong desire. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. What this is all about is that when law enters in, the flesh responds and all manner of lawlessness results, okay? So we must not think that our lives are to be characterized by law and then grace will somehow be the result and and will follow from that. No, it's exactly... uh, 
and quite profoundly not that way, okay? When we place ourselves under law, we short-circuit the working of God's grace. God's grace is sufficient. It is powerful all by itself. So uh, if we are living the fullness of life, we will not be finding ourselves overwhelmed by sin. That's just a simple fact of it. It's really that simple. So our call is to rest, to rest in the glories of God's grace. God has carved out a place of rest there for us, and his grace is always sufficient. Well, we'll start there next time and look at the issue of um, works and uh, specifically what the judgment seat of Christ will be all about. What are the rewards that we may gain there, right? And is perhaps the greatest of all being found in him, not having our own righteousness, which is of the law, but of that which by the, is by the faith of Christ. Amen, amen, amen. Well, are there any comments or questions today before we close? Let's pray then. Father God, thank you for gathering us today. May we take these lessons to heart. May we understand what the glories of your grace are really all about and the depth of meaning that that should have for us. Those words should always be in our minds and on our hearts. That Christ was so willing to sacrifice everything to pay the full penalty for our sins. Are we willing, therefore, now to risk everything for his sake and his glory by living out day by day and hour by hour uh, in the realm of his grace, uh, finding that uh, suffering together with Christ for his sake uh, is better than deliverance and learning what the greatest purpose for our lives truly is, which is that we might be found in him at that day, not having our own righteousness. In other words, all of that not needing to be burned, not needing to be taken away at the judgment seat because it wasn't there in the first place. So <laughs> praise be unto God. Our hope, Father, uh, always needs rekindling. So we call out to you for that and uh, look to see how you will work. And we do thank you in Christ's precious and holy name. And amen.